Welcome to Something for the Turbo, the new weekly podcast brought to you by Unfound, the global platform for the travel-loving cyclist. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Something for the Turbo. I hope you're all well, having a good week. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the podcast and tell all your cycling friends and make sure you download the Unfound app. Join the global cycling community. It's really easy. You can find it on the App Store or Google Play. Also, we've had a number of emails with regards to our latest drop of our collaboration with Lecole, the Lecole X Unfound kit. We will be reopening the shop for those of you that are keen to get yourself a set of that kit, we'll probably be opening it in December. But if you get yourself onto the Unfound site, that's www.unfound.cc, we will release all the details that you'll need to get yourself into the club shop and pick yourself up a pretty cool piece of kit. We've also got some exciting new collaborations coming up over the next few weeks, so keep your eyes peeled. I did, before we kick on with today's show, want to thank Every one of the guests who's very kindly given time to join me to have a chat on the Something for the Turbo podcast, we really appreciate it. And uh, I can, I'm sure I can extend a thank you on behalf of all the listeners as well. And also, I wanted to say thank you to those of you that very kindly introduced guests to me as well. Without you, I couldn't have done it. So thank you very much. And please do keep them coming. If anyone knows of any good or interesting guests to join us on the podcast, we're always happy to have a chat with anyone, really. Anyway. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Graham Bartlett today. Graham's very kindly given up his time. He's the CEO of Velon, and he talks us through his amazing, amazing career to date in sport. He's worked for UEFA, he's worked for Nike, he's worked for Liverpool Football Club, he's worked for Sky, and he's been involved with Velon since its inception. He basically talks us through what Velon's mission has been, the progress they've made, the challenges that they've faced, and really what they're looking to do over the next few years as well. It's a really, really interesting insight into what the organisation's doing. He's also got some questions that he'd like to put to you all. So please do take time to email, uh, well, either Unfound or Velon themselves. I've put the email addresses in the show notes. We'd really be keen to hear your thoughts. It would help Velon with their goal and mission as we move forward. But he's got lots of, lots of interesting insights. It's very kind of him to give us a time. And without further ado, let me bring you Graham Bartlett. Graham, thank you very much for taking the time to join us. How are you getting on? Uh, very well, thank you. We're in the middle of a very exciting Giro d'Italia, so yeah. uh, hopefully that will be a good conclusion in Milano. Yeah, very busy, but uh, good. I was going to say, it must have just been an insanely busy couple of months for you since everything's opened back up and racing started again. It's been crazy, to be honest, with the teams. They are, I mean, they're, they're in so many different places at the same time. I mean, this weekend, preparing for the Vuelta, you got Ron van Landeren, you've got the Giro... I mean, it's just nuts. Just such a compressed calendar and such a, a difficult time for the teams to try and cope with it all and the riders trying to be all over the place. And at the same time, we've got all the testing protocols to keep everybody safe. So, yeah, it's been a very strange and, and busy season, but good to be there, you know, good to be racing. Everybody's ready. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And as a, as a fan, I have to say selfishly, it's, it's bloody brilliant having racing on all the time. <laughs> yeah, you're spending the choice what to watch. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, given how busy you are, um, and we've actually got so much I'm very keen to delve into today, but w- why don't we go back to the beginning? Because I'm really keen to sort of delve into your background, your career, and where you've had some really interesting jobs and worked in some really interesting places before moving into cycling. So it'd be good to get a bit of a sense of where you started. You started as a lawyer, right? Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, I was a yeah. fan. 
finance lawyer in the city. So syndicated loans, bond issues, and, and goodness knows what. International finance and banking, which yeah. sounds a lot more dangerous than it was. <laughs> exactly. So, and, and then from there, so how did you end up moving into sport? Uh, my brother told me about a job that had been advertised in Switzerland when I was when I was about 29. And um, he said, you should have a look at this. You're always going on about working in sport. Why don't you go and apply for that? Yeah. Um, so I ended up working for a company called ISL that used to own the rights to pretty much everything in the world at one point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then spectacularly crashed and, and went bankrupt uh, while I was there. Wow. Not connected to anything that I was doing. I hastened to add. So I left there, but I stayed in Switzerland and I went to work for UEFA. Yes. And um, yeah. Yeah, we, um, the guy I worked for, a guy called Philippe McGrath, he set up the first internal agency at UEFA. I mean, it was responsible for all the national team competitions, so the Euro champs and yeah. all those. So uh, he, he set up this this unit, which was quite small when I started and, and pretty big when I left. I was head of various different things there in that in that group, from managing sponsors to negotiating sponsorship deals to media contracts and stuff like that so it was it was a fascinating time i had i had eight really good years in switzerland i really enjoyed it um and it was fascinating working for uefa yeah i can well imagine yeah interesting organization and 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 just before obviously you mentioned your brother sort of flagged a a job in sports for you had you grown up as as an avid sports fan and are you a cyclist even do you cycle i know you play golf don't you but uh, you love all sports what's what's your sporting background I play golf very badly when I get time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like a lot of people, loved all my sport, loved playing, loved watching, big football fan, cricket. You know, like, like a lot of people growing up in that, in that time, we just watch everything that was on exactly, uh, yeah. and, and, and play whatever was, was going on at the time really. And yeah, I always loved my sport, always really enjoyed it. And um, when I was working in the city, I looked at a couple of different options and thought, well, what's my passion? What do I really love doing? And what do I like being involved in? And sport was top of the list. So I thought, well, let's try and combine something that make it a bit more interesting and work in an area that I've, I've always loved. Yeah, amazing. So obviously, it's a fascinating time in a, an evolving area of UEFA. And then sort of Nike was it next did they approach you or how, how did that come about yeah Nike was a great job I, I, they're a fantastic company um, I was sports marketing director for the UK and Ireland so I, I went there in 2007 and I left in 11 so I had four really good years at Nike and they were brilliant to work for I learned and, and you were kind of responsible for all sort of athlete club and federation sponsorship right yeah I, mean, I had everybody from uh, Wayne Rooney to Arsenal to Paula Radcliffe but I had a great team I had a really good bunch of guys who, who looked after the athletes and the, and the teams really well and, yeah. and my job was just you know sort of don't mess it up kind of thing so <laughs> it was good fun that sounds great we, yeah we did some good deals I remember having some good fun doing redoing the RFU deal that was yeah, a good of thing um, and yeah, Man United were always entertaining. That's for sure. Were they? What hard work or? Um, well, you know, if you're if you're such a big club, you're going to be demanding, aren't you? You're going to yeah, you're going to demand a lot from from all the people you you work with. But it was great because it was a role that straddled the, um, the the business side of it. I didn't have a great deal to do day to day with the with the club, but now and again, you know, you'd you'd have the you know check-in meetings with the likes of David Gill and Alec Ferguson and these guys and they were they were fascinating characters to see up close so yeah it was it was a great position I really enjoyed it yeah fantastic uh, exposure just to see how they work and think I'm sure but that, that journey then took you to Liverpool didn't it and am I right are you a Liverpool fan I am yeah yeah, yeah. 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 born and bred yeah 
yeah, yeah, always been a red. So yeah, I was I went there in 2011, just after FSG had bought the club. Okay, Fenwick, yeah, yeah. And actually, because I'm fascinated by Fenwick Sports Group, what, what was it like working with them? So you moved to Liverpool in, in a commercial director. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. at the time, you know, John Henry and FSG had just bought the club. So they were you know, still very much working out what they wanted to do. And I think if you look at the recent project, Big Picture, there were a lot of echoes of that when I was there. And I think John and, and the group are still even, you know, years and years later and, and have been phenomenally successful and put a huge amount of money into the club. You know, yes. and that's that's something that I don't think they get enough credit for sometimes. And um, they they've done an amazing job, done an amazing job at the club. But I still think they're still wrestling with you know the way that the European structure works and the restrictions upon it, uh, and their ability to free themselves a little bit from the from what they sometimes consider to be the rest of the of the league or the, the weaker group if you, if you like they want to be more you know commercially independent so and there were records of that when i was there so they were really really that's interesting so what that's been so it's been a long time in the making really yeah yeah definitely i think they've always questioned the structure and, and wanted to see how they could improve it and and make the club you know more commercially independent but when i was there they, they were really just getting their head around what what they wanted to do and how they wanted to to shape it up and i went in there with a very specific idea about what the role would be and how it would grow and um funnily enough i think it's more like that now i think the job that billy hogan's doing now at the, at the club uh, and billy's a great guy he's a really good guy is is that they're more in line with that kind of strategy than than perhaps they were when i was there so you know i, looked, I was there for a while really you know loved the club very much but it wasn't for me in the end that role wasn't wasn't the right right shape that I wanted it to be at the time. So funny. So your, your vision of it was almost before its time. Almost. Ah, uh, I wouldn't be quite so immodest as that. No, I think there were plenty of other people who saw saw things slightly differently. But look, you know, if John Henry's a multi billionaire who's turned the club into the most successful era it's had since the seventies, so I'm hardly going to argue that I had the right strategy and he had the wrong one. <laughs> Fair enough. And was it? Did, did you go to Sky next, or was it was it Venom next? Did I did I make? No, I to Sky. Yeah, well, yeah. I had a bit of time out in 2012, and I decided to sort of call in every favour that I could. For every everybody who owed me a ticket ever in their lives, I think I went to everything: Olympics, Wimbledon, rugby, cricket, football finals. I saw yeah. Liverpool in a final twice after I left. It was quite. So yeah, I was kind of I was cashing in a little bit. I had a bit of time off in 2012, and then I've got a, a great mate of mine who's used to be at Sky Sports, who said, why don't you come in and do a bit of work with us? So I went in there on a sort of three-month stint to sort of, you know, see, you know, what I could do for them and how I could help and I ended up staying for two years. Yeah, brilliant. And what were you doing at, at Sky? What kind of capacity were you were you working in? It was general projects, really, in, in Sky yeah. Sports. So I didn't work with the cycling team. Um, hardly okay. at all. I was doing a lot of commercial project stuff. So with Skybet, at the time they had a project called Sky Tickets. Yeah, I remember, yeah. Worked alongside Barney Francis and Rich Ferro and Johnny Licht, who were all really good guys, and just helped out, helped Rich out on a, um, certain deals, not that he needed any help, to be honest, and just did a lot of project stuff with the guys up at Skybet as well, which was fascinating as they were, you know, eventually that business was sold by Sky yeah, for, a, yeah, yeah. For, a, for a very good profit. Yeah, it's just a really interesting setup and a big organization that, that really you know the sky sports teams the guys that i was working with they, they really loved their sport they you know they weren't just business guys who were looking to turn a profit and and you know, make the subscription work they really genuinely 
loved the way that they presented sport and engaged fans with sport. And, you know, as with all the roles I've had, I, I learned an enormous amount from, from some really smart people there. Yeah, very cool. And so how did Verlong come and to sort of come, come across you? How did that come about? Were you approached for it? Because it was, you basically oh, have been there since its inception, right? Yeah. No, I was there when we set it up. And what happened was there was a project that was proposed to the teams from an agency. Yeah. And um, the teams for a very long time have been looking to see how they would come together and, and how they would organise their business in a much stronger way. Um, you know, I can get onto that in a minute. But this is not an idea that I had. This is an idea that had been around for a long time. If you talk to the likes of Patrick Lefebvre and, and Jonathan Valters and these guys, yeah. they had been talking about bringing the teams together as a group all strongly and negotiating better and, and, and you know, having a, a real stake in the sport as opposed to just yeah. being told to turn up and shut up. Yeah. Um, so this had been something that had been there for a very long time before I arrived, there was a project that was proposed to the teams, which was a breakaway league, effectively. And I got involved because Sky Sports, the, the, the team, Team Sky, asked Sky Sports to do an assessment and, and, and look at this project. So I was I was given it as a, as a sort of project to look at. And out of that grew a kind of coalition of teams that, that wanted to do something different. And, and slowly over a period of about, I think it was about 18 months in the end, it was quite a long time, they came together and decided, right, you know, we're going to form this company. So my role was to advise on structure and rights and, and use my experience from those previous jobs to kind of give them a, a setup really and I met with quite a lot of people when we did it and towards the end you know on my I was handing it off really and saying right okay it's done there's your project that's your company that's your setup it's how you should move forward now you just need to hire somebody who knows something about cycling because that definitely wasn't me you know I could tell you endless stories of my embarrassing lack of knowledge back in those days uh, I'm the guy who thought that Ron Van Vlanderen was a stage race I mean it's a tour of Flanders so how many days is it then it's kind of a bad I've been. I have. I, I confess. I don't ask me to name. You know the second set of riders in uh, in 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 one of the Pro Conti teams, but I've I've got better for sure. The, the media guys in Belo laugh at me though because my knowledge is like you know yeah yeah you have to go and look up that rider, won't you? But um, but I have got better. I've got better. Anyway, yeah. They said I said look you know go and get somebody who knows something about cycling, and the the, the reaction from the. the you know, the shareholders and the people putting the money in was we don't want somebody from cycling. We want somebody from yes. outside to sort of look at it from a different perspective. So they rather foolishly gave me the job of CEO and, and asked me to go and set it up and, and make it happen. And yeah, there we are six years later. The rest is history. Yeah. And that's why I was so excited to get the opportunity to to, to speak to you about it. And, and, and I'm mindful. I'm, I mean, I'm super interested in this on a personal level, but I'm mindful there's probably people listening that, that obviously are aware of Velon or, or have seen it in some capacity, but let's ensure that we're sort of making sure that everyone's aware of what, what's going on here. Like tell us a little bit about Velon's mission statement from the offset. I know you've done that briefly there, but in terms of what, what the plan is and how it's been working and, and uh, some of the challenges around just the structure of the sport, I think it's easy not to appreciate just how difficult it is with regards to particularly the race organisers and the teams and, and, and their, their ability to influence things or lack of ability historically to influence things. Sure. So the purpose of Bellon is to change the sport by engaging the existing fan base and a wider fan base in a much stronger way. Pro cycling is incredibly fragmented. You've got a bunch of teams who are all looking at engaging fans. You've got a bunch of races that 
pop up and then they're gone, pop up and then they're gone. And there's no easy structure for a fan to follow. There's no season narrative. Some of the racing can be quite difficult to understand or follow if you're not an expert. There's not a lot of new technology being used in the sport ever since its inception. You know, if you change the, the, the... change the black and white any race you want and stand some people by the side of the road in flares and, and it'll look like 70s again. There's, there is no, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no innovation going on there. So when we started off, the whole point of Velon was to change the way the sport engages with the fan base, make the sport bigger, and by doing that, fundamentally realign the economics because the economics are stupid, yes, so, exactly, yeah. which we can come on to in a minute. But that, that's what Velon is about. It's about trying to make, bringing more of the race, bringing more of the teams to the fans. So we started out in the beginning, so, okay, let's put cameras into bikes. Then let's get data out of the bikes. Let's try and shape something so you can follow the race in a deeper way. And it took it takes a long time to introduce new technology into sport. You know, I learned a lot of lessons from my Sky Sports days, but people don't realise. They think that the Premier League coverage on Sky, you know, it was always looked like that. You know, yeah, it hasn't. <laughs> it didn't. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Marty Francis and a and a and a team of very smart production people revolutionised that area and how that works. And it takes a lot of time and effort and money and, and getting it right. So in you know, in a few short years, I'd like to think you know we we pioneered showing the race from a different perspective, live on board cameras, data from the race being able to take people genuinely behind the scenes, showing them the, you know, the team bus briefings, the post-race interviews, getting more out of the race and engaging the fans. That's what Velon Media is all about. Yeah, it's that accessibility, isn't it? It gives you that insight. And um... you, can't, you can't love something if you don't understand it. You know, our mission is really to, to excite, to inspire, to explain and bring people into the sport. And it is a difficult sport, a tough sport to understand. Yeah. And, and yeah. the onus is on the teams and the races to, to get people to understand it better so they'll follow it better and love it more and be more connected. Because for every, you know, thousand weekend warriors who are buying bikes and riding up various hills around their homes, how many of them really connect with Manan San Remo? How many of them really follow you know, yeah, and that's and that's the interesting challenge for you that I think is kind of unique, and and it's something as someone that's a, a massive enthusiast of the sport, I, I often take for granted. It's it's a it's a huge challenge. How I mean, it's kind of unique to any other sport that you've been involved in, right? I mean, what, what can cycling learn from, say, football or, or other sort of global sports that that you've had exposure to uh, moving forward? I think whenever I answer that, it it sounds people do ask me that a lot. The the it sounds a bit like I'm knocking the sport. And I've had a few fans come up to me in the past and say, well, you know what? You know, our sport's brilliant, you know, and it doesn't need to learn anything from everybody else. And I think the answer to that is, is not to forget that cycling has got some fantastic stuff that other sports don't have. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I start with that and then I say, well, let's get more of that to the fans. So one of the most brilliant, the most fantastic thing within cycling is the ability to go and do it yourself. Yes. You know, yeah. after the Giro goes up with Stelvio, you can go and ride it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I often say there's no other sport where you can go and play at Wembley on a Wednesday night, exactly. you know. Exactly. Yeah. And you can take your, take your Garmin or your, or your whatever, your SRAM and say, look, I'm going to see how long it takes me to get up there and how hard it's going to be. And you can look at your numbers and you can look at Froomey's numbers and you can go, whoa, God, he's so much better than me. And in every other sport, you can do that but you can't do it exactly the same way. You know, I can't, I can't go and hit, a, you know, a serve on, on centre court and see if Nadal can get it back. I, I mean, you know, I can't go and play golf with Tiger around Augusta. 
but I can go up to Stelvio. I can go up the yeah. you know, I can yeah. go up run, you know, up the Papenberg. So yeah. the beauty in cycling that allows people to really connect with it. And I think what we're about in terms of fan engagement, what can the sport learn is let's show more of that. Let's get that aspect of it. If you look at what other sports are doing, they'll show you more of how it's done that you can then use to compare to how you do it. Pick any sport and they'll be showing you stuff about that's relevant to a young girl or boy who's who's trying to play that sport on a Saturday or or a guy who's, you know, that's his escape for the weekend. He wants to go and ride his bike or play his golf or whatever. And those other sports are really trying to take you inside it and make it relevant to what you do on a, any given Saturday on with your mates. Absolutely. It's, it's that relatability, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And that's yeah. what Melon is about. Why are we putting cameras on bikes? Because we think it's a funky angle. No, we'll show you just how these guys handle the bike. When they're yeah. got, you know, look at the Sagan victory in the Giro on our uh, on any of our channels. You'll see the onboard video. Look at the way he's riding that bike. He's, he's yeah. power he's putting through it, and how he's able to move the bike. And look how how it's moving from side to side. The way he's riding, you can look at that and go, if I'm really, if I was really going for a, you know a little sprint nice and safely on a, on a road that's nice and clear would i ride like that or would i ride like i normally do how would i do this how would i go faster what would i do and continue yeah. to the sport and trying to get more of that out of it into your head in a way that's relevant is is really about what, what velon live is all about yeah exactly and 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 for those of you that that I'm sure you've seen bits on Instagram and other platforms as well, but the YouTube channel is, is a must in terms of going to subscribe to that. Where else uh, can people get your content, Graham, content, Graham? Where's the best for them to, to find what you're doing? The best thing to do is to go on our website and sign up for the newsletter. And then, yeah. we, then we just serve it all up to you every day. And you can just, you get all the best of the action. You get the interviews, you get the reports on the race, you get all the data stuff that you want, um, the videos, obviously, of the action. Uh, from the Giro at the moment, and then from Flanders on uh, on Sunday, which is a great race. So just sign up the newsletter, and we'll serve it all for you. And, and then you can watch it wherever you want. You want to see it on Instagram, you can follow us there. You want to see it on YouTube, you can look at it there. So, yeah, we serve it all up to you any, any way you want. So sign up for the newsletter and uh, at velon.cc, yep. the website. It's very easy to do. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you just get it emailed to you every day. At the moment, yeah, we're doing three a day at the moment. There was that much racing going on. I see. We'll we'll put that in the show notes for everyone to 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 listen to. And I think going back to sort of growing the sport, I think you know historically there have been sort of challenges around just how unapproachable road cycling or road racing can be. And to your point, you know, I think people either are into the power numbers and the data and either that or it can be seen a little bit intimidating almost what what for people listening to this podcast they're probably on the sort of more keen end of, of the cycling enthusiast what can what can the fans do in terms of helping spread the velon word or helping with your mission essentially i think for everybody who wants the sport to grow who's a fan of it if you've got friends who are, who are sports fans and looking at it help them say look this is what this race is about this, this is the type of rider. This is the, the, the way these guys ride. This is what these numbers mean. Um, not everybody rides with a power meter. That, that's fine. You know, not everybody hits their driver 360 yards like, you know, DeChambeau. It, it doesn't, you don't have to do it as well. You don't even have to do it yourself. You can just look at it and appreciate it by understanding yeah. this is the kind of effort this is required to do this. And, you know, for the fans, I think sport's best ambassadors are its own fans. 
So yeah. people going out with a, with a weekend ride, say, did you see this? Look at that. It's interesting. You might apply it to your own bike ride or the way that you're riding. Or just appreciate what these guys are doing because these are phenomenal athletes and help to bring people inside the sport. And yeah, you know, there's lots of great um, content out there. We're not the only ones. We, you know, we work, do collaborations with lots of people. We work with GCN and broadcasters like Rai and, and Sports uh, to help them improve the broadcast and the content. So just have a look out there and find, you know, what fits for you, what's Velon or one of the others, you know. What do you get most of? What do you like? If you like following a particular rider, you'll see interviews or, or montages that we've done on them. If you like looking how the race unfolds, about how the, you know, all the data and the numbers work as the race is going on, like a, like a super day Brailsford or a whatever. If you like that kind of thing, then yeah, look at that. But take your pick. You can look at it from all different angles and it's whatever suits you. As long as you're gaining more understanding and, and excitement and interest out of the sport, it's all good. Yeah, I was understanding that, that that data is there to get your hands onto it as well. I mean, I think there is a there's a sort of journey, isn't there, from getting into road cycling and, and not, you know, I think historically, if I go back to the 90s, anyone that got into road racing probably came through following the Tour de France. Whereas I think there's a huge population of people, as you point out, who are riding bikes who don't even follow the pro sport. So it's going from that, that journey to and then sort of translating the people that then start following the sport, but only really watching it as a spectacle to then sort of getting into the sport and, and, and sort of appreciating it a little bit better and That's helping right. grow it. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a funnel and the funnel in cycling is kind of, it's a bit upside down really. Because in, exactly, yeah. in most sports, you start playing before you start watching. And in cycling, sometimes I think there's, there's a group of people who are watching and not riding. And then there's a group of people who are riding and not watching. So the job for everybody in the sport is to try to connect that group up better by making the race more understandable and so that people can see what's going on. Excellent. And tell us about the, the Hammer Series because we enjoyed that. Where, where are you at with it? What's the plan? Obviously, COVID's been a difficult year from that side of things. Yeah, what? yeah, no, COVID has well, been a couple of things. Hammers, we really enjoyed Hammer and, and uh, thank you, by the way. I'm glad you liked it. A lot of other fans did as well. It was something that we, as part of Velon's DNA, as changing the way the sport is set up, What's crucial is that the teams have a stake in the race. Now, they already do have a stake in the race. You know, the race will pay for certain riders to be there. The race will want certain teams to be there. So there's already a business relationship between the teams, the riders and and the race. But that needs to be much, much deeper. So what we wanted to do with, with Hammer was change the economic model. So look, the teams have got a stake in the race. It's their series. They're creating this. Yeah, because I read that. I, mean, I saw some of the numbers from the ASO. They're, I mean, they're, they're clearing decent profit every year as an events business, right? For those that don't know, ASO that run the Tour de France and many other major races. Yeah, no, ASO make a lot of money from the Tour de France. Some of their other races are, are, are not profitable, but that's one of the problems in the sport is these races are not connected up. You know, yeah. every other sport you watch a season, it starts – in one place and and there's a certain points out of that one like you know you unfolds like a premier league season and what we wanted to do with hammer was to create a series so that it would go from you know limburg to stavanger to hong kong and say right who's winning who's the best team on the road and yeah is that clarity yeah i mean so your your fans will know cycling is a very individual sport but those who know it know that you can't win without a team yeah. don't, don't yeah. try and win without the team yeah. um so it's very much a team-based sport with an individual getting the prize and what we wanted to do was really emphasize that team ethos. And we said, look, let's find out who the best team is by them competing a sprint section, a climb section, and a chase section. And we ran the first race in Limburg back in, in 2017. And it was a 
just a revelation. People really loved it. A lot of people yeah. watched it and, and just found it fascinating to see the teams go head to head. Fast paced action. We based it all in one place. So the teams, the Mirais didn't have to move around, which they really liked. The yeah. format meant that every day you went full gas and it was circuit racing so that the fans would see the teams a lot rather than standing by the side of the road and seeing them once in an, in, for 10 seconds in an entire day. So yeah. we made it sort of stadium circuit, gladiatorial, fast-paced, team v. team action. And the riders and the teams loved it. It was because it was very different, new, and it was hard, hard racing. I remember one of the journalists in Limburg on the first race asked Andre Greipel, uh, you know, this is just a crit, isn't it, Andre? And he nearly jumped out of his seat at the guy and said, you watch, yeah. you watch tomorrow. This will be full gas. We want to win. We want to win. We, we're not here to just ride around. We're here to win. Uh, and that was great. They were totally bought into it. And what, also what I loved that you did with it is obviously I, I was in Hong Kong for one of them is that you kind of created beyond the racing a whole kind of weekend for, and that, that I right. think helps grow the sport because you get, we've got ki- loads of kids there and people that don't follow the sport there and there's great accessibility to the riders there. Exactly. It, that's what I think is a real that winner. The, that was the whole idea of Hammer was to make it incredibly yeah. inclusive to do yeah. to do a lot of family rides but also some some serious rides as well we had a real mixture there were some great fun rides with kids around the around the Tom de Moulin bike park in Limburg you know little tots riding trying to get up that hill and getting off and pushing and to you know serious young racers who were out there to win prizes and we had the whole festival and then the family would come along and have the barbecue and it was it was great, and the similar in in Hong Kong to create that atmosphere, and that's what you want to try and bring people inside the sport and enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, and it was it was great, and the accessibility was, which is another Brilliant. thing about yeah. cycling. And, and sadly, in this COVID age, it's it's hard to do that now, but. You know, Hammer was brilliant because every day the teams would be in the same place. So everybody got familiar yeah. with them and would, yeah. you know, would be hanging out with them and chatting to them and talking to their heroes. Uh, yeah. In a really special atmosphere. I remember seeing a video uh, one night of a, of a bunch of school kids watching the Hammer Race on Team Sky's bus with with one of the, with Cervais <laughs> Canavan, who's won Paris-Roubaix, telling them yeah. what was going on in the race. And I said to him the next day, I said, Cervais, what, what, what was that? Did you do some sort of local promo or something? Well, how did you do that? He said, no, it was just a bunch of kids outside the bus. I said, come on, come inside and I'll show you what's going on. I mean, yeah, it's a fabulous experience for, for everybody, the teams arising and hopefully the fans. Yeah. But sadly, we are. And that's how you go to the sport, right? And uh, yeah, that's, I think that's huge. But uh, what's the plan with it for next year? Have you got anything lined up for next year with it? Well, we can't. We can't move it forward because the UCI effectively oh, yeah, of course. stopped it. Yeah. So that. Sorry, I totally forgot about that. No, Sorry. Don't worry. No, I wish I had. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not the, uh, the, the governing body of the sport, which which governs the sport without actually really being a stakeholder in the sport. So all the people who make cycling happen, you know, the riders, the teams, the races and the fans, they don't really get a say in the sport. It's, it's governed by a bunch of people who are appointed by some national federations who have nothing to do with pro road cycling yeah. uh, and govern it to their own interests and not to anybody else's. And they decided that the teams having a successful race series was not good for the sport, so they decided to stop it. That's progressive. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the, that's your UCI for you. You know, we, the teams and everybody else were pretty upset and furious about this, and for a governing body to use its power in that way, to abuse its power in that way, is just flat out wrong. So we, we yeah. put them in front of the European Commission, 
and say, look, this is anti-competitive. We don't mind having a governing body, but govern it fairly and govern it in the interests of everybody, not just certain self-interests and yourself. So we think what they did was anti-competitive and we, we stuck them in front of the commission last year, but it hasn't been able to prevent them from from doing the damage they have. And then COVID came along and, and racing and race organising has become incredibly difficult. So for 2021, sadly, there will be no um, live hammer racing. And we've got some plans to try and bring it back in different guises. And then beyond that, for sure, we won't give up on it. And the teams will look at how we can sort things out with the UCI and actually hopefully get get it moving again. But yeah, we'd love to bring it back. It's, it's great fun. It's so old progress, isn't it, in the world of cycling? But um... Well, this is the problem, Jules. You know, you've got, you've got too many non-progressive attitudes that defend a self-interest position which do not take the sport forward. Yeah. No. And, and on top of that, do you also find that you've got a lot of people in cycling who've come from cycling? So there's like an obsession with history looking backwards rather than forwards. So why should we change things as work before kind of attitude? There's some of that. But I think in fairness to a lot of the people within the sport, they do want change. They, and, you know, I'm not a disrespecter of history. I mean, Hammer was, was very new. You can compare it, say, to, you know, IPL 2020 cricket or and it wasn't everybody's cup of tea I'm not I'm not saying that's the only format we should be racing no of course sports need short format enticing to a younger audience versions of themselves if you look at any sport that's, that's doing well at the moment there's always been or is a popular version of a shorter form and something yeah. has a very old demographic and yeah. you know I, like, I love watching the Giro um, and the tour yeah, and and you know if you're a cricket fan my preference is test match not 2020 but I like a bit of 2020 now and again but exactly same, Some yeah. people say I don't want to watch test match it's boring I just want to watch 2020 and that's fine but you've got to serve up a, a For everyone that can can appeal to a younger generation and bring them in and might start being 2020 fans but then be test match and one day fans later on and you yeah. have to grow your your fan base by offering things that they are, are going to appeal to that demographic. So the problem, yeah. in the history, you know, the history is great. You know, when I worked at UEFA, they, there's a great example. They they converted what was the European Cup, the most iconic club trophy possibly in the world, and yeah. they converted it into the Champions League. But the trophy that Liverpool picked up in Madrid, in Madrid is the same trophy as they won you know, back in the 70s. So you can yeah. keep your history and you can celebrate your history, but you can also inject and, and reinvent and bring new things into it to keep it available to a new audience. Yeah, definitely. I, I know that obviously you're, you're, you're tight on time, so I just got a, a couple more things. With, with regards to, to plans for 2021 and, and where you're aiming, what, what are the main goals? And also just with regards to, you mentioned how fragmented it is for people to sort of follow the sport. Is there any sort of plan to make a an easier calendar to comprehend? Because sometimes that's quite tricky for the for the for the sort of mass fan as well getting into the sport. Yes, I mean there are lots of plans, um, and and there have been a lot of plans in the past. And I think the challenge is just getting the right stakeholders, the teams and the race organisers. You've got a racing group, which is the teams and the riders, and you've got a race group, which are the organisers, yeah. and they need to come together and say, this is what a calendar should look like. These are the things yeah. that should connect. These are the things that the way that fans will follow. There'll still be uh, a Tour of Flanders. There'll still be Paris-Roubaix. But let's look at the way that some of the other racing connects better so that we can follow a season. And it's not going to be the UCI that delivers that because they're just not going to do that. So let's the team, the racing group 
and the race group should come together. And we're working on that. We're trying to do that. And we'll see. It's, it is hard yards. If something's good and you feel passionate about it, it's worth doing. You can, you can look, you know, you can move forward. We've made great strides. If I think back where we were five years ago and where we are now, it's a huge amount forward. And then for Velon Live and Velon Media, we want to be able to show the race much, much better than we are now. Uh, I think there's there's huge strides that can be made to make it much more easy to follow for the fans and really see inside the race. And we're going to try and really improve that user experience next year. That's going to be a big thing for us. With partners like RCS, with partners like Flanders, and to see what we can do there. So yeah, there's a lot of challenges, but it's a great sport. you know. And it's got fabulous potential to to expand and grow uh, way beyond where it is now. I mean, that's that must be. I often thought when I was looking for your background, I thought that must be probably the most frustrating thing for you because you've you've worked in so many other sports that have got a lot of the commercial elements right. I'm sure there's frustrations in every sport, and then you've come to cycling, and you can probably see there's so much potential, and there's such a vast potential global audience. But it's how you then execute that that must be so frustrating, a rewarding and frustrating for you. No, no. <laughs> no, okay. Fair no, enough. Not it's it's the it's the bit that gets me into work in the morning. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. It's the most course. exciting bit because you can see it and you can look at it and go, wow, think about what you could do here. You, the, yeah. Some of the racing is absolutely brilliant and there's fantastic things to watch. But you could reach a much bigger audience in a much better way if you fix the background economics, give yeah. joint incentive to the racing group and the race group to work more strongly together. Cycling has a bigger global audience potential than Formula One. But it it has a business model like a corner shop. And and that's what's holding it back. It needs a better business model. It needs better governance, better partnerships, and people doing the right things for the sport to go forward. And and that can happen because I've seen it happening. I'd like there to be more of it. And you're right, there is a lot of frustration that it's not moving more forward more quickly certainly everybody on our side of the fence wants it to do that but it can uh, and there's huge potential there to reach a much bigger audience and engage them in a far better way it's that's a brilliant way to finish and it's it's refreshing and reassuring to know that we've got people like you in the sport trying to make that happen well, just before we go me it's it's a huge group behind it that make it happen of course you, you and you and your colleagues and, and many many more good people just before we go are there any questions that you would like to ask the audience that we can then feed back to you and on the unfound platform as well is there anything you want to know from people listening just in terms of curiosity around oh, yeah, yeah. Views, like that? absolutely well lots and if you if you actually, if you sign up for our newsletter there's a there's a survey that we're doing at the moment that you can sign up for which is it's quite in depth if you've got if you've got yep. 10 minutes then by all means do it so you go to velon.cc and you can see our uh, on if you sign up for the newsletter you'll get a survey link as well at some point and but yeah key questions for me would be we've served up a lot of different race content what would you like to see more of if you go to the velon website and watch it live watch the giro live today uh, or any of the stages on our website what would you like to see more of what do you think we're doing well well what do you think we're doing badly by all means let us know uh, there's a email you can send into info at velon.cc give us your constructive thoughts comments criticisms we'll take them on board we do listen so what would you like to see us doing from the race more of less of and then the other question would be what kind of racing do you like you know when we bring hammer back we will reinvent it again we'll we'll try and make it better than it was if you took Hammer and you moved it forward to Hammer 2.0, what would it look like? 
So those would be my two questions. Excellent. Brilliant, Graham. Look, I know you've got more calls to do, and thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Let uh, Elon know. We'll, put, we'll post that in, on the hub as well, so all the notes will be in the show notes as well. Thank you for taking the time. Good luck with everything. Stay in radio contact, and we'll catch up very soon. Uh, everybody out there, keep following cycling, keep enjoying it, and... Thanks very much, Jules. It was a pleasure. Good to talk to you. And you, mate. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. And more importantly, don't forget to download the Unfound app and join cyclists from around the world on the hub. We'll see you on there.